0: Welcome to the Barely Liquid Podcast. On this show, I talk about planning a life around illiquidity. Join us as we navigate around the complexities of investing in businesses, real estate, and more. To learn more, visit jakecran.com. That's J-A-K-E-C-R-A-N.com. All right, I'm here with Pit Case and Bill Bogart of Case Bogart. What's going on, guys?
1: Hey there, Jake, it's uh, pretty good here. Thanks for having us today. Yeah, good.
0: yeah, I'm pretty excited for today. And I've been thinking about um, how to introduce y'all and what you do is so unique. I think I'll give you the opportunity um, to do it before I mess it up. So what exactly does Bill Bogart, Kit Case at a cocktail party, what do you tell people you do? <laughs>
1: Well, that's a good question. Uh, depends on how many drinks we've had. <laughs> how many beverages? That um, <laughs> I think. I think if you look at our website, uh, you'll see this phrase that probably is a good way to start talking about what we do. So we uh, are building stewards of family capital, and those words are very meaningful to us because uh, building is all about growth. And stewardship is really all about being a caretaker and family capital is all about everything that goes on in a family from the family business to money to philanthropy to their individual giftedness. So what we do in a nutshell is that we work with young men and women uh, from families who have business or meaningful wealth, and we help them prepare themselves for being good stewards of what will be left them. But we're also looking at those things that are important to them for their life journey. So there's the family journey, and then there's their personal journey. And so we come along them as mentors and coaches, sometimes over a multi-year period to help them grow into the young man or young woman they need to be.
2: And then also we, would, we help families. We have a family advisory service. We're, whether we call relational governance, which might be for family meetings, preparing for family meetings, it might be for preparing for estate planning. Uh, Many families have issues with onboarding new family members when someone gets married or when the rising generation is ready to move on and move into more control or more participation. So we call that relational governance, which is a little bit different from the transactional governance that most families um, tend to, to, to I guess, get close to and, and where their attorneys bring them to, we do it a little bit differently.
0: Yeah, yeah I know my in-laws are still having a hard time onboarding me, so maybe <laughs> we can reach out yeah. to
1: it's been yeah,
2: eight yeah. years. So a <laughs> yeah, we, you know,
1: so, it, it, that just to add on to that, the, I'm not sure if you mentioned this two-word phrase, but uh, we have a colleague, Kristen, that talks about relational health. And that family component at its core component is a family being able to center around their principles, identifying their family culture, and being able to communicate and conflict resolve effectively. And so a lot of the work that we do in preparation for family meetings or some of the transitions Kit talked about has to do with that relational health.
0: Awesome stuff. So I'm very intrigued with how you got into this business from the get-go, you're not—I don't think you are—at least licensed counselors. You're—you both have a finance background. So, what? How, maybe talk a little bit about your first careers and then kind of launching into this and what drew you together to kind of go on this journey.
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't not want to be with Bill, but uh, that's <laughs> when things worked out. But I started off my career in investments on the analysis side. Uh, public investments for different firms, ran a research department uh, for a while, and um, ended up in a family office as a chief investment officer. So uh, throughout all those years, I tended, maybe because I'm immature, but I tended to spend a lot of time uh, with the younger people, helping them, sharing them my mistakes, Um, and, and that was either through church or through work, and so just enjoyed it a lot and found that I had some giftedness in that area. That's my past. And and my background came through uh,
1: large banking platforms. Most of my career was with J.P. Morgan on the private wealth side. And uh, Kit and I had become friends through church and over 10 years ago started having coffee together and looked at each other realizing we both had the same love for developing young people. And that had been at work settings, had been in church settings, it had been in volunteer settings. And having both served the family wealth market, we realized that there is a big need in the market for preparing heirs. Families are well-intentioned and they provide a lot of good education. Um, But we felt like there was an added piece that we could bring in terms of this deep mentoring and a relational approach to a young person growing and the responsibilities they needed to understand how to pursue. And so from a banking standpoint and a family office standpoint, we saw that need.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, we're We're made to do. Finally. That's awesome. That's so good. So you talk about building stewards of capital. And when you're approaching a new client about stewardship and becoming a steward of capital, maybe you can talk about the different types of capital and mm-hmm. what do you all talk about when you talk about stewardship generally?
2: Well, it's, it's the primary word that we live by in our own life as well as our business is designed around, but stewardship, which is really the intentional management of assets, not the ownership of assets. And that's a big step to go from ownership to, to managing. That means someone else owns it. And so we believe that. And so um, how we view it might be a little bit different from a lot of people. Assets are not just financial. We look primarily at individual assets. And, the, and us as men or you know, as, as a woman and an individual, we're made uniquely and, and we're all valuable. And so we are called, we need to steward our giftedness and our strengths really well whatever form that takes so we look at that individual asset we look at the financial assets of course um you know that could be just budgeting or buying businesses you know whatever could be your responsibility in the family as a trustee or beneficiary or whatever so we look at those two buckets and we look at social capital which is primarily philanthropic capital how to give it away but so we get into why why do you want to give it away where do you want to because of why not just give your cash and then move on, but it needs to be something that, that hurts you, that you that, that really you feel uh, the need to help solve a problem or serve a people. And then the last bucket of capital we look at is, is the really the family capital, the name, the relationships, are there conflicts there, are there siblings there, are there assets you're going to be sharing in the future and who do you need to start building a relationship with in order to share those assets well. So that's, those are the four buckets we look at. And I think to add on to that, which really a
1: fun part of our job is it's a visioning part of our job. So we help a young man or young woman uh, dream about what they think their life could be. And uh, we do a lot of work around the individual capital that Kit mentioned, so we understand what their abilities are and when they do those abilities well, where they get energy not just passion, but energy. And so we can help a young person focus their energy into meaningful work in this world. And so we do that in every capital bucket, whether it be money, philanthropy, family, or individual, and then help mentor and coach those young people on a two- to three-year path to get there.
2: And and some of our our families and young clients uh, might be Christians like we are, and they want to add that spiritual capital in a way, so we can help disciple them um, to a place where they enjoy that relationship with Jesus. Yeah, and I think, I think capital, the word capital can be
1: too restrictive because we all grow up thinking about capital being dollar signs and investments, but we think about the whole person and that's why the philanthropic heart is important, uh, the individual giftedness is important, and the family unit is important. Not only the family of origin, but a lot of our young people are engaged in getting married and creating their own family units, kind of like you, Jake. And how do we help them vision what their principles and their values are gonna be for their family?
0: Yeah, absolutely, that's so good. So you talk about the, the different buckets of capital, I think you call it, and y'all graciously sent over some white papers you had written, I think, or what do you call them, perspectives? perspectives, uh-huh. perspectives a- before a- this. A- and
1: yeah.
0: I think uh, y'all were joking that um, it'd be a good way to put me to sleep, but I really enjoyed it. And may- maybe I'm a nerd like y'all, but <laughs> I I really enjoyed reading it. And you talk about
2: heirs,
0: mm-hmm. and they kind of, they fall into, you can be an entitled heir, a lost hair, uh, burdened or competent. And I, okay. I want to ask you some questions on how to get if you're falling in the burden, lost or entitled category or bucket, what are some tools for the different types of capital that you get um, heirs into that competent bucket? So from lost to competent or entitled to competent?
1: Yeah, Uh, that's a big conversation, but I'll I'll give you a couple of high points. Um, One from a parent standpoint, uh, we're, Kit and our parents and our grandparents, so we're wearing the same hat. Uh, so we're at the front of the line in this instruction, but we need to be as parents very intentional and very engaged in making sure that our heirs are competent, right? So there's a responsibility as a parent. And I go back to like the individual capital bucket, it's really important to assess uh, the strengths and weaknesses Uh, of your heir. And that's important because you want to give your heir the ability to pursue their giftedness. In other words, the things that they do, and when they do them well, they have that energy component that we talked about. And so someone moving towards a competent heir is gonna be matched in understanding their, their workmanship, their giftedness, and then their work is gonna be matched with that so that they get energy. So someone who is a burdened heir or someone who is uh, a distracted heir all of a sudden will become competent when they find their zone of ability and energy. So that that is a, an example. So besides the assessment, what I would say is on the weakness and on the weakness standpoint, understanding the gaps. Well, let's say you're a business owner and you have a son or a daughter and you want that the son or daughter to come into the business, understand those deficiencies, we'll call those gaps, the gaps between where they are and where they need to be to be proficient in a job in the family business. At an early age, identify those gaps and provide assignments, projects, uh, kind of low test probes to help that young heir develop. And that could be with a brother or sister, it could be with cousins in a business, it could be a, a joint project. But that's a great way of helping move an error along that line towards competency.
2: Another thing I would add is I think the burden error, that's, that's the, the young person that's doing things out of responsibility and they're doing it well, but they don't really want to be there. You know, being aware of that and listening to see how they can might adjust their role so they can become more energized, but still fulfilling a responsibility that is needed. Uh, that's the burden. One's the one that we usually don't see, and that's and there's some risk in that because that can that can lead to some some significant issues with that that young person down the road. Yeah, of course. And you mentioned um,
0: just now that your parents and now grandparents. I'm just curious personally. How have how has your relationship with your own families changed since you've dove into this world of the consulting that y'all are doing and building stewards of capital? Have you noticed things change in your own family or things you're prioritizing or lessons you're trying to pass on that you otherwise might've just kind of flown over your head?
2: I would say um, it's made me more aware of the mistakes I've done and been. Um, I think we spend a lot of time on personal leadership and mentoring, by the way, is just it's more listening than coaching. We're not telling them what to do. We're we're listening and asking questions so they become more aware of their own hearts and their own issues. But but we we spend a lot of time with seven habits and this this habit of um, listening to understand has made me slow down. And listen to my daughters, and then my grandchildren. Eventually, when they're older, listening to them to really understand what's going on, and 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 taking the time and doing it with my business partner, um, you know, it really takes more time and effort, but it uh, it's it adds so much more value, and productivity, and uh, and maturity. So I think maybe I finally matured. I don't know, but that's the, been the biggest change for me. I'd say. Uh, one comment that's related to your question is that my children are much
1: more curious about what I do now than what I used to do in banking. <laughs> and I think it's because uh, it's so relational. So we may have said up front when we left our our businesses, we gave up investment licenses. We don't sell anything. We don't have any product. We're just investing our time in people in a mentoring way, which is deep relational change. And My children are highly curious about that. And of course, our business is confidential, so we can't talk about names, but we can tell stories and they're learning a lot about the stories that we tell, especially around what we just talked about on individual giftedness and kind of being in your zone of uh, performing abilities well and and giving them the freedom to move in that direction. I think... uh, When I was raising kids in my 20s and 30s, I was probably too directive. You know, This is what you need to do. And now the approach is, what were you meant to do? And that's really what we're trying to bring out in our young people is, what is it that God created you to do? Workmanship created in a fearful and wonderful way. We help uncover that through these assessments and then give them the boldness to pursue that. And sometimes there is communication coaching on how do you talk to your family about a change in direction? Gee, dad, I don't want to work for the family business. I want to become a school teacher or I want to be a missionary or whatever that may be. But our role is to advocate for the rising generation, not to be uh, there to tell them what their parents want them to hear.
2: Right. But it's to embolden them to do what they're meant to be.
0: That's awesome, but, that's so bad that would also
2: Jake, I would also add that we have usually have the same values as the parents, and we're pretty pretty uh, evidential with those with those values, and so people know what's important to us. and so uh, I would say if parents are involved they would they would agree with everything that we would be saying,
0: yeah, absolutely. and a lot of times you need some it it's great to get um, advice and wisdom and listening from your parents, but it's so good to have from other people you respect from other mentors as well. So that's awesome. So in all the years that you've been doing this and all the families you've helped, what are some of those best practices or values that um, the healthy families are or best values inside a healthy family and some best practices that they're implementing that if I'm listening to this and I'm a young dad or I'm a a young granddad or whatever it is, and I want to, kind of take something and go pour into my family? What are some things that we could um, kind of trail on and and copy?
2: Yeah, I think some key words probably would be, I guess, first of all, humility for the parents. Um, Because that that opens yourself to teaching, I mean, to learning, understanding, changing, adjusting. And I think kids need to see that we are we need changing as well. We need growth too. So humility coming from the parents is key. Intentionality. Uh, I was never very intentional when pretty laid back. And and I think that's a mistake. I think we need to intentionally pursue growth with each of our children and hopefully with our marriages. But being the leader, being intentionally pursuing and moving towards something is a key. And like Bill was saying, when you see gaps, you intentionally set up solutions that help, children uh, shorten that or, or lessen the size of that gap that they need to, to have. And then finally, I would say understanding. Try to understand your wife. Try to understand your children. Listen deeply to understand where they're coming from. And if when that happens, there's gonna be less conflict. And, and so as leaders of the family, we need to exhibit those things, and but they require strength. They require leadership and patience, um, lots of patience. And so it's not easy. I'd I'd add on uh, the word space.
1: I think if parents can give their children the space to learn and grow and fail, it's vitally important. This is a big differentiator with the families that we see that are highly successful. Got a, a couple of examples. We have a family we work with and the father intentionally stepped away from the business to allow the son to come and manage the business. And he wanted to be dad, and he really wanted us as mentors to surround his son to help him with business decisions, very successful. Uh, so dad gave son the space to do that, working alongside another family where that did not happen. The the father uh, has, not really vacated the position of power and authority and not given the son space to grow and to achieve maybe a new vision. Very frustrating to uh, the young man right now. So I think giving a rising air space to learn and to make mistakes is really, really important, but also take the pressure off of the father-son or the mother son, or mother, daughter relationship, let them be parents and then bring in a third party to be helpful to uh, further develop the young person into the, to the business.
0: Man, that's so good. When I think about the, uh, if there's any, if I have any confidence, I think about some of the things my dad like let me do. I'm like, I'm pulling a boat down the highway at age 15 and just like the, really the freedom he gave me. Cause I think like, at our core, and like John Eldred says, it's that like every uh, kid, every man, every woman, they want to know that they have what it takes. And when kids are coming up and they're going into business just to give them the space mm-hmm. to kind of become that man that they're supposed to be or become that woman they're supposed to be, I think like a father figure giving their son or daughter space to go in and saying, Hey, I think you have what it takes. You go do this. I mean, mm-hmm. what a shot of confidence that is to a uh,
2: um, the rising generation. And even as young children, I, I saw Jordan Peterson interviewing, he said, let children do dangerous things and with some risk. And even if you're just out on the ski slopes, let them go down a blue by themselves first time out. <laughs> you know, they'll fall and be fine, but uh, letting them do dang, you know, risky things. And, and, and so they won't be afraid to try things that are good.
0: Yeah, there's a, I mean, all of the psychologists I read and all the information out there seems to say there's a problem with maybe my generation and the people coming up behind me, um, lack of risk taking, um, and they're scared (laughs) to fail. Um, I probably have some of that too, but I'm right there with you as I, I have a five, three and one year old, all boys. And I'm consciously thinking of ways, little ways that they can fail that where they're safe, they're physically safe, but Mm -hmm. um, they learn to take risks because we're there to protect them. And so when they become of age, they're not scared to go start a business or get married or have kids or um, be the man that they were created to be.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, as as we pursue our mentoring over time, there's this flipping of the relationship where At first, we're being directive about the things that the young person needs to do in their individual development plan and these four capital buckets we talked about. And then what we've noticed over, say, year three or four, the the rising air that we're working with, our client, starts directing us as to what they need. And so our role changes somewhat from being a mentor, we're still a mentor, but they're counting on us more to be a board of directors And so one of the surprises for Kit and me is that in the eight years we've been doing this, our mentoring has been taken into the management office or to the boardroom, and we're helping our young man or young woman who's now taking more and more responsibility in the business to help make business decisions. It's leadership development, management, strategy. How do you hire people? How do you develop a corporate culture? And so they're counting on us for those types of things as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So if you don't mind, I would love to hear more about what's inside an individual development plan. And I know they're customized and they're unique to um, each individual. But like, what are some examples of some tools that you all use to really pour into that person, that individual person to kind of make sure that they are doing what they are gifted at? or you need to yeah. find gaps to fill.
1: So the on individual capital, which is really typically the first one we'll go after, we'll spend a good couple of two or three months on assessments. So we'll use a gift in this assessment that looks at motivated ability patterns. What are the things that you do well that when you do them, you want to do them over and over again. And we'll combine those with leadership insights and Enneagram, our colleague, Kristen, can help us with much of that. But we're also looking at uh, a book like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Highly Successful People. We we work on leadership and effectiveness and work through that book and help them with their personal mission statement and create that runway for what they want to be in three years or five years or 10 years. So the first bucket of individual capital on the individual individual development plan is really assessment-based and book-based. And then it's also vision-based. So it's a lot of work every week on understanding who this young man or woman is and what they're meant to be.
2: So we'll look at all the four capital buckets we've talked about at length uh, in this, during this podcast. And um, but we'll talk to family members as well and find out what areas they need to be prepared for with, like we said before, sharing assets. Are there some conflict within the family that they are either causing or suffering from and, and things like that? We'll come out with a plan of how to address uh, potential conflict or ongoing conflict. We'll come out with a plan on, on maybe exactly what um, nonprofits they want to go visit or who do they need to meet within the nonprofit world to, to fulfill their dream of, of giving to this particular issue. Uh, we'll go into de- pretty good detail on each one of those buckets over the next two years, and we look at it quarter by quarter for two years. And after that, you know, everything changes, right? We grow, and everything, you know, the changes happen. So we we won't we won't stick to that plan for longer than that.
1: Yeah. So the individual development plan can be seven to ten pages long by quarter. And so if you look at the financial capital bucket, it's all over the board. We've we've got young people coming right out of college. And the primary focuses are, let's develop a budget. Let's, let's check, let's follow your spending for 60 days. Uh, here's how you apply for a mortgage. Here's how you get your credit score. Just very basic stuff. And then we have other uh, young people that are MBAs and they've already had work experience and we're helping them understand private equity or alternative invest investments and how to make decisions on their own portfolio. So again, we're not giving investment advice, we're helping them understand how to think Mm -hmm. and how to relate to someone like you, investment advisor, lawyer, accountant. And so much of our financial uh, capital bucket just depended upon where they are and what they're wanting to achieve.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you're advocates for the rising generation. Let's, Let's drill down and focus on the rising generation, like your typical clients. What are some challenges that people coming to you are facing right now that are maybe unique to their generation or their age or.
1: I'll kick off on this one. Um, A couple of words that come up a lot for us uh, with our, our young people. Uh, One is fear. That's a, that's a real challenge and the other is role confusion. Um, And so I think the fear comes a lot from what, Some people write about calling uh, being raised in a fishbowl. You know, you may have a family business and how are people looking at me? What are their expectations of me? I have a fear that I may not be what my dad or granddad or grandmother or mother was in this business. So there's fear. Uh, it, It could be also the expectations of what others have of them, right? And so it's both looking out of the fishbowl at will I ever become that? And then looking in the fishbowl, what are people thinking of me? And do they really wanna be my friend for who I am and what my abilities are? Or are they wanting to manipulate my relationship because my family owns a business? That's, that's a real common fear. The other one in terms of role confusion, you think about all the different roles that a young heir can play. I'm, I can be a beneficiary. I can be a family member of a business, Uh, I can be someone who's maybe a trust beneficiary, Uh, I'm still a family member, who the heck am I? And so there's lots of role confusion, and that creates what some people call imposter syndrome. So, here I am as a young person, and I'm educated, I want to be known for my abilities, but I feel that expectations are so high on me, I feel like an imposter, and I'm not qualified for the role that I've been given in this company. So fear and role confusion are two of the, the central issues.
2: We well, also will enter into um, issues that where they have to have difficult conversations. So we'll role play with them, whether with, with a superior in the family business, with a parent, with a sibling, Uh, whatever, Uh, we will kind of help them prepare for those difficult conversations so they discover what they need to say and we help them figure out how to best communicate what they want to say.
0: That's great. It's such a unique spot to be because they're, they're kind of unique problems. So it's probably, I imagine it's difficult to find peers that can relate to you and you can talk to about these problems. Like I can go to all my buddies from college kind of raised similarly, et cetera. It's just tougher in that echelon growing up in the fishbowl. Um, yeah.
1: And Jack, just, just, just to that point, we, we've, we've noticed that that is a need. And one of the things we've done in the past is we've brought our uh, young people together in forums to to learn, but also to discuss. And we're uh, thinking about even formalizing that more into young people, uh, Uh, groups of cohorts, so like-minded young men and women from family-owned businesses that can come together not only to learn about leadership and management, but to share some of these fears, concerns, and anxieties that they have because they come from a similar place. And so we're seeing the need for them to voice that. Yeah, I think that's an incredible idea.
2: Yeah, and sometimes it's just better a lot of times for, for young people not to hear everything from their parents. I know my kids would listen <laughs> way before they'd listen to ever listen to me. And, and so we found that that's, that's, a, can, we can be helpful and help them giving a different perspective on leadership and giving them new contacts. So it's not mom or dad introduced me to someone. It's my friend, Bill, that's introduced me to, to someone who could actually help me grow. Yeah,
0: that's great. I want to pivot um, and kind of go off the, the kids and family business and kind of that cohort topic and go to like, how do you prepare kids to work in the family business?
2: Well, almost similar to what we we do with all our, our young people, but we'll start off with assessments. What are they geared for? What are their strengths? How do they think? How do they respond to different situations? What are their fears? What are their hopes? And you really go into a deep assessment to figure out, who, so you know what you're working with. And they know that who they're working with themselves. When they get to know themselves better, then they become a little bit more confident and able to, to build leadership skills once you're confident enough. So we'll start with that always. And then we'll look at um, personal leadership and effectiveness you know, are they really being effective in how they interact with individuals and how they might change? Look for areas of changing in, in their interactions because you want to move from from just being independent in yourself, but you want to move to a place of interdependence where you can work well with others to do something bigger and better. And so we'll, we'll always go with, with that. But then also networking. And that's just not networking to build yourself up. That's just... Creating the ability and confidence to go to someone and say, "I want to know you. Tell me about yourself. Tell me and, and teaching them how to ask questions. Um, tell me about how you got into your business. If I'm going to be doing X, Mr. So and So, why did you do Y? And so I can relate that to my family business. So we do a lot with networking and people putting people together. We've been in Dallas. Gosh, you know, forever, and and so we have a lot of contacts here. So we want to free them up and give them the confidence and the questions to go build their own skills and build, and talk with people on their own without us, because we we don't need to be there. I I'd, I'd also add uh, we worked with a young woman uh,
1: for about a year through assessment and some basic financial capital issues around budgeting, and she realized that to fully understand her family business and to contribute in the future. She needed her MBA. So uh, we guided her in that direction with her father's blessing. And she's now an MBA student. And so she went off to school. And so sometimes it's a practical situation of more schooling or you need to go find a job in a similar business, but not in the family and then come back in three to five years when you're ready.
0: Yeah.
2: And, And the complexity of all that dramatically increases when you have siblings (laughs) and so when you have multiple children that may or may not be in the family business it can get really complicated very quickly and so by doing those assessments finding individual giftedness teaching and showing how to communicate we actually can be a place where they can figure out their siblings actually have value also and maybe it's best that The oldest sister is the CEO, and there's other important roles for other children. So having siblings is really important to go ahead and have someone else kind of doing assessments so they can see the values in themselves and each other.
0: That's great. Well, we're almost running out of time, and I'm going to be really selfish with this last question because I respect you guys so much and the work that you all do. Um, And I think a lot of the people listening will kind of be – younger parent. so if you're talking to me like i've got a five-year-old a three-year-old or one-year-old i'm also very driven at work and i want to work a lot i want to help my family a lot what's some advice you would give to a young parent who's raising a family and is also focused on their career maybe what would you tell yourself when you were 30 years old or 40 years old or what would you tell me today
1: i'd, I'd start out by saying uh, back to being intentional develop a family value statement and culture so you know jake for your family you would be great as as the husband and the leader of the family to say hey here's what we stand for here are our principles here are our values and teach the kids what those those are uh, secondly have a stewardship mentality you know teach your kids from an early age that we're owners of nothing, but we're managers of everything, right? We're caretakers of this, which we've been resourced with. And this changes the attitude from consumption to investment and doing good and to giving. And then the third thing uh, is show your kids the pain of the world, right? There, there's brokenness in this world, there's poverty, there are health issues, and it's important for them to see a place different than where they grow up and to see the need of the world to help form their heart towards being generous towards that.
0: Absolutely. That's great.
2: And, and I would I would just add, really, that encompasses all that, but um, living for something bigger than ourselves That as much fear and anxiety as these children are going to be growing up with, more than we ever had, you know, when you live for something bigger than yourself and you take, it makes you take your eyes off of yourself, then a lot of that fear and anxiety goes away when we do that. And so if we can be a family that, that has something greater than just us to live for, then that that can go a long way. And, Jack, I'll add one last one because this, this is one I
1: wish I had done differently when I raised my four kids. Uh, in my family, I wish I had valued work more than allowance and what I mean by that is my kids got an allowance and they did not understand until it was too late that the world does not give you an allowance and so in my family if I were your age again I would uh, I would have my children enjoy the beauty of work and earning a dollar from work with no allowance there's no such thing as an allowance Hmm. I made
2: my kids work without any allowance yeah that's what I had (laughs) <laughs> hey
0: well thank you bill kit thank you so much i really appreciate y'all um really enjoyed this and uh we'll talk soon thanks guys thanks, jake. thanks. thanks for having thanks. us jake crandall offers products and services using the following business names foster financial group or canvas financial insurance and financial services emeritus investment company llc aic Member FINRA, SIPC, Securities and Investments. Emeritus Advisory Services, AAS, Investment Advisory Services. AIC and AAS are not affiliated with Foster Financial Group or Canvas Financial. Information provided should not be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Please contact a financial advisor to discuss your personal financial situation.